Uh, Father, I, I praise you, Lord, just this real topic of, of, of fear. Lord, that I know, I know what fear is. I know what anxiousness is, Lord. I know what worry is, Lord, because I've lived it. Lord, I, I still have bouts with it. Um, but I turn to your word in this power of the gospel, Lord, that the gospel brings us a different kind of fear that is victorious, Lord. And it has a, a different flavors to it, Lord, than, than a paranoid fear, than, a, than the fear of man, than the fear of circumstances, the fear of pain and the fear of loss. Lord, it's the fear of the Lord. It's a good fear that's good for us, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that you'd reveal it to us what that is and what it's like. Let your grace be upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, there's a dichotomy in assuming, uh, it seems like a dichotomy in the Lord where you have, you obviously know that there is the wrath of God and that God is against evil. How many have heard of that before? And, and do we not understand that? Like, is that something like a foreign concept to us? No. You know, we, we see the Paris bombings and we go, that's wrong, right? And, you know, and I'm sure that if someone is sitting in Iraq or Iran and they see, see American bombings from their perspective, they're thinking it's wrong because we have a tendency to fend for ourselves, amen? That's just the way it is. Now, I'm, you know, a, a patriot, an American, and, uh, you know, I, I obviously um, care about our country. But I, I, look at, I look at the dichotomy that people think with God is that he has this wrath, and they want to make sure there are some preachers, and I'm one of them, but not in the exact same way as other people maybe, is we want you to have an understanding that, the, that God really is against evil and sin. Okay? But at the same, and there's even times where I think for God it has gotten, it's getting, gotten personal because he's said personal things in the scriptures, his distaste for evil and the evil people that do it. And if you put that just in isolation, you could paint a picture of a God who is merely ticked off. Like he has one emotion. His emotion is, man, I'm pure, I see evil, and darn it, I'm going to do something about it, right? And that's the way you could see it. If you don't see the side of God that works simultaneous with himself, which is the love of God. Do I hear amen? And it's accompanied by all kinds of things like mercy, the mercy of God, the sovereignty of God, and the justice of God. And the justice of God is the fact that God will not leave sin unpunished. And if you hear that by itself, then you think to yourself, like I would, I'm in deep trouble. If there is a God who happens to be holy and he's just, then I'm in deep trouble. Right? Is there anyone here not in deep trouble with this thought? Because you should feel that way unless you hear the rest of the story. The rest of the story is God also satisfies that justice of wrong being paid, the debt being paid by that cross that we hang on the wall. Amen? Amen? Amen. It represents the justice of God being met out, being paid out. Now, it's almost a ridiculous thing to ignore it and just go, well, the wrath of God's still just there. 
No, the wrath of God in Christ has been satisfied. How many say amen? amen. This, by the way, is the power of the gospel, right? And I, I jokingly horsed around, but it was really no joke, a couple weeks ago where I said, do you want to be a New Testament church? And I had the person come up here and, and they, I had them just role play with me. And then they said, I want to be a New Testament church. And I said, good. And I took their Bible away from them because the early church had Jesus Christ crucified. And when they put their faith in him, the spirit of God actually fell upon them. Did you know that? It fell on them at Pentecost. Jesus breathed on them in the book of Luke. And then as they spread out to Greece and you know Asia Minor and all the different places around, the, the Spirit of God fell upon the people. But they didn't have all the content. They didn't have time to use scriptures against one another yet. That would come later. And, and, and then I, 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 well, I jokingly with the person standing up here, and I did it in first and second service, I said, I said, where do you live in the Greek New Testament? And so they gave me a name, like one said Corinth. And I said, okay, if you live in Corinth, then you'd have the book of First Corinthians. <coughs> and so I, I pretended like I was going to give it to them because I wanted them to reach out and take it. And I said, no, you only had it read to you. So imagine the early church with no New Testament that they carried. They didn't have the pocket. The, you know, the iPad was only in version .009, so it wasn't out yet. The copying machines weren't working, so you had to do it by written, you know, written, uh, by written uh, language. There was very few that could write. It wasn't like everybody could write. Oh, here, give it to me, I'll write. Most people are like, oh, read it to me. What does it mean? And I don't say this because I don't revere the word of God. I say it because I do revere it. And I promise you, you will not meet. It's a rare bird that loves the scripture more than me. Seriously, there's a rare bird that, that loves the scripture more than me. I love, 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 love the scripture. And it's from God. I've told you before, when I first got a, became a Christian, I hated the Bible. Because every time I'd read it, Every loser passage, I was there. <laughs> you know, like there. There's another loser passage, like there's my face right there, you know? But I learned about the grace of God and I learned its content. It wasn't until the 125, 152, which is a normal time that that scripture met it out and moved out into the world. You know, they just started writing and they just naturally just started going to all the churches. It wasn't until 125 AD, which we get the first recorded moratorium fragments where the scriptures were canonized at the 27 books. And then some people think that isn't until 300, you know, Athanasian creeds and the apostle creeds when they started putting together early church history. But those aren't the first ones. And those are the only ones recorded. How many think a bunch of stuff happened in history that's not recorded? How many think so? Come on. There's a lot of stuff that happened. When people tell you the church was like that, I just go, you have no idea what the church was like. You know, you're just guessing by what you have, and I get it. But I know what our church is like, right? And I bet you there were people coming in, twisting the scriptures back then too. Amen? What is the point? My point is, the simple message of Christ and him crucified was saving people even though they didn't know a whole lot yet. Amen? Amen? So now that you do get to know a lot, don't let those scriptures take you away from the simple truths of the gospel. Yeah. That's the point. 
Don't let people who sit there and diagnose it. And, and I, I'm telling you, I've met people who diagnose things like this. And I, it's been a common thing I've noticed. They usually don't have a lot of love. You know, it's because it becomes knowledge puffs up, the Bible says. But love builds up. And, and if you understand the love of God in context of the fact that God does justice, and we want justice for those Paris killers. We want people who have committed crimes to pay for it. Ah, oh, please don't imagine your own life. Listen, I could be in prison 10 times over with the things I've done. Seriously. And I, I give the little thing where I ask people, I said, have you ever sped? How many have gone over the speed limit? Raise your hand. How many have gone over the speed limit and not get caught? Okay. In California, your sixth time. Has that been there? Mandatory six months. How many have sped six times without being caught? Okay. Now, keep your hands raised because I am making an official citizen's arrest. (laughs) Yeah, Utah's probably 40 as long as you didn't use three guns at the same time. Right? That's how it works. And it's okay. I'm a Utah now, brother. <laughs> I, I go back to my California friends. They're like worried about guns and stuff. And I'm going, dude, we got, there's probably 20 people carrying guns just at the church service. <laughs> I won't ask how many has a gun. <laughs> Ushers has got guns. I go, people aren't afraid of guns. See, guns have a different meaning there. Guns is kind of like, oh, it's tied to gangs. It's tied to random shootings. That's, that's what you associate with. <sighs> now that we have talked just about the love of God, we can get to this comp- topic. The right kind of fear is good because it's not a, oh, it's a awe fear. It's a victorious fear. If God is bringing us into relationship We have to understand that the kind of ungodly fear, the fear of man, the fear of our past, the fear of tragic loss, the fear of the things that we can fear, those tend to have a superficial paralyzing effect on us rather than the fear of God which draws us into trusting his promises and his words and the things that he says because we fear him as the source. And the Bible says it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. If you are going to fall, if you are going to be in the hands of God without the provision of Christ, means on your own, like you think you're good enough to stand that way, oh, you will forever regret it. And if you're saying, well, I never heard it, you've heard it today. You've just heard it. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. Receive him as Savior now. Just believe this, and you will be forgiven forever. There will never be a day that this comes back on you. (sighs) Father, open this word up, and it's so powerful. Help me not to butcher it. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Listen, we all have things to fear, and this is what fear does. Then I'm going to turn to these first parts here. Fear will paralyze you. It can, very easily. I was mugged by four guys with baseball bats. You know, when I was a junior in high school, car pulled up, chased me down, knifed me, 
hit me with bats, knocked me out. I woke up after surgery. I hear the screeching of that car for the next three, four years. And I, I turn. You know, because they're all high on PCP. And, you know, it's like I hear it. Man, I just even hear, hear PCP. You know, and I've done a lot of drugs. And, you know, those of you who've done PCP, you know what it does. And, and it gives you that feeling of power. And it isolated me. I've had home invasion where people came into our house and took over, and it made me paranoid. And my, my, my kids would go, why do you lock the door? I have my reasons. I have my reasons. But I come into Utah, people don't lock their doors, they don't lock their cars, they don't care about anything. I get it. It's a different story. They have other things they fear. They fear religion, right? They fear being judged. They fear being the black sheep and being put down all the time. They're constantly having to pick themselves up because no one else will. That's why I'm always trying to tell Utah, turn to the God who believes in you too. Amen? Listen, it'll hinder you. Fear will hinder you from pursuing your calling because you, you, you think you'll fail. You think it's just another loser trip. You won't see discipline as good for you. You'll see discipline as a, as a, as a put down. And so you'll see every failing as something that you just fall rather than learning to fail forward and keep failing forward and let the Lord restore you. As Jody said this morning, she was talking about, you know, this fear and this hindering turns into shame because some of you are stuck or trapped in a sin and a sin's got you. And instead of just being able to come into the light and share it, you you know the shame that it brought you, and so it's hard to bring it into the light. I know this because I've lived this too. It's shame, and then it brings you condemnation. You think you're condemned because you've always had to work for your salvation. You were never good enough here in Utah. You're just never measured up. And even those that were measuring up, supposedly, you know they had secret stuff that they weren't measuring up. And that's why we have this cross there because it represents that, yes, you will never measure up, but Christ measured up on your behalf. So how do we find this fear? And I want to see, see that this fear is ancient. It's old. When, when Adam and Eve first sinned, they were walking around buck naked. And the minute they sinned, they go, and God even asked them, where are you? And he goes, I was afraid. And God said, you know, like, who told you you were naked? Like, who told you? Like, we just knew it. Like, like our purity of who we are, you know, was distorted. And, and I watch pe- people, we have nudist colonies now. This, this is people saying, I don't need the cross. They're not saying this, but what they're saying is, I don't need redemption. I'm just going to go back to the nakedness and try to act like there's no shame. Right? Everything comes back to the gospel. Trust me, I can sit with you for an hour, bring up any topic, and I'll tell you how it's related to the gospel. Nudist colonies, gospel. Beach, gospel. Volleyball, gospel. (laughs) Everything's gospel. (laughs) I don't know, I'm confused, Pastor. Gospel. (laughs) God called the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid. Everyone just say it. Say, I was afraid. Because this is where it is. I was afraid. This happened. I was afraid, and so I hid. 
I realized I was naked. I realized that I was uncovered. And I realized that no one is covering me. My authority is not covering me. Nothing's covering me. And so we covered ourselves. And then I hid. Then I had to hide. And this is, this is where it is. This is the root of where the sin takes us. This is, this is the pain of it. The, the imagination. Imagine Adam's imagination. You, you want to you wanna talk? You think we're evolving? Trust me, every time those cells divide, something messes up eventually. Messes up far enough, it becomes cancer. How much has that cell division decayed or devolved till it got to us? Think about it. And I want you to understand that imagine if he was struggling, this first man was struggling with stuff, how much, how far gone are we? We're messed up. I mean, what was God thinking when he looked at my life? Like my life was just a sheer painful joke in so many ways, but yet he restored me. God got a hold of my life. Listen, fear is ancient. Listen, this is the key right here. I'm going to start. Seven points. I'm going to get right to them. Number one, the fear of God, say it with me, is the beginning of knowledge. One more time. That's right. It's the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of of knowledge. And why? Because once you start to see that God is at the center and core of not only of all of life, but your actual existence, the purpose for which he implanted in you was done by him in his mind, in his foreknowledge. And when God planted that and made you for a purpose, your fear of him puts you in track with, by the cross, the path, he puts you on track with the path of him being in charge of everything. When the, when the waters are going up and down and the storms are going up and down and the things are, earthquakes are moving and wars coming and all the kinds of things, you're safe in the God zone. You're not safe from all harm because things, fire will touch you and all kinds of things will touch you but you shall not be harmed at the soul. God will keep you safe. The fear of the Lord makes you start to see that this source of life is the one that has knowledge that's worthwhile. Listen, you're going to go to college, young people. You go to school, study, get, your, get 10 master's degree. I'll put you up against someone who knows the word of God and knows how to live by it, and you'll, see, you'll watch what success looks like. How many say amen? amen? And not that college is bad. College can be excellent as the Lord leads you to it. But knowledge is not the only answer. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But look what it says. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. It says the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. When you start to hear God's ways, they don't make sense at first. Right? Sometimes, like dying yourself, giving your money away, like I just talked about, giving it away first doesn't make sense. And trust me, there'll be a whole group of people who will hear it over and over again and they never will. Welcome to your lifelong money problems forever. Yeah. <laughs> it's, the, it's the most ridiculous thing to me because I've been given to the Lord for so long that God's always taking care of me. I, when, the minute I worry about it, I just go, the Lord's in charge of my finances. That's right. And then he changes and fixes everything. Yeah. So it's amazing for my whole life. 
You know, I grew up with nothing but money problems. You know, I had like a, a spirit of poverty on me and my family and everything. It's like a spirit of poverty. And I'm not, not just talking about a demon. I'm, I'm sure there's demonic influences, but I'm, when, I, when I use that word spirit in that sentence, I'm meaning just a, a heartbeat, an attitude of just poverty. And, and I've seen God just turn that around. You know, the Lord is my light and my salvation. So he's my light. He's the one that shines the way into my future. Even when things are, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he is with me. He's my light and my salvation. Listen to the question that David says. He said, why should I be afraid? Right? That's a king who goes in the battle knowing that the Lord led him there. You can't just jump in every battle and think the Lord's going to protect you. There are times when the Lord says, you forgot to ask me about the battle. And you come back with some wounds on your legs and, you know, and half your buttock is cut off. You know what I mean? You go, what's going on? I can't sit down. Huh? That's right, because I want you to stand up for a while. Now listen to me. And the Lord does all kinds of things to draw you close to him. The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? And this is the psalmist just asking that question. Why should I? But the fear of God, right there, is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. Number two, this is a huge one. Most people live in this. If you're still plagued by your past religious experience, I promise you that this is rooted in it. The fear of God overcomes my fear of man. (sighs) Man wants to control you. Not even, man can control you without being in the same room. You could just have a bad experience, hold on to unforgiveness, and then that'll kill you. You, can, you could just have someone give a bad vibe, and that'll kill you. You can have someone who just doesn't believe in you for some reason, and that'll crush you. You'll, you know. And the thing is, is that the Lord is constantly telling you, spend time with me, be with me, get your feedback from me. I've shared how this works in marriage. There's been times where Jody was upset with me about something, and rightfully so, and I've already repented, but it didn't matter. She was still ticked off about it. And there's times when it happened the other way around. How many know what I'm talking about? But you know what gave me peace in those? When the Lord finally showed me, she's mad, and that's okay. But I had the Lord. She'd come, she goes, I'm so upset. And I go, can I pray for you? (laughs) You know what I mean? Because I'm doing awesome. But I'm so mad at you. I know I see that, but I'm totally forgiven, so I'm good. You know what I mean? I love you, babe. Uh, let's get past this. You know what I mean? I'll do whatever it takes. You know, and then all of a sudden, it's like the Lord starts coming in our lives, and instead of having all these arguments, God starts to pull those away. And you start to recognize your differences, and you start to live in the forgiveness of God together. And then when things come up, you look at each other and go, you're forgiven, you're forgiven. Let's move forward. God's got us. You remember, that's why Jesus says, forgive, or Paul said, forgive as you've been forgiven, right? Accept one another as you've been accepted. Think about that. That's pretty huge. Listen, the Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can, if you have King James, it'll say man, or in ESV, I think it's mere people. What can mere people, what can a mere person do to me, right? It's that statement, if God is for me, like, what are you going to do? You can't undo the cross. You have no power to undo it. Your accusations only have so much power. 
they'll have to fall on the ground. Because, and I'm not saying that you can't have humility and I'm not saying you can't repent 10,000 times because it's good for you. But I'm just saying is that the fear of God overcomes the fear of man. Listen, Proverbs 29, 25, it's the fearing people, the fear of man is a dangerous trap. It's a trap, it's a snare. It traps you. Because once you start fearing man, what do you start doing? You start to do things to try to please that man, right? You know, I I have pastors that are in training that are becoming pastors. It's difficult, you know, because you're growing in, in service and losing your ambition and losing your dreams, and that's hard. And in one of the things that, you know, I say, to, I say to them, and I said, don't do it unto me. You'll only get disappointed. You have to learn to do it unto the Lord. We're not sending you out to pastor if you're going to do it unto man. You have to serve man and not expecting anything back. Because most people won't give anything back. Because they won't see it, and that's the way it is. But that's okay. You can't, in a relationship, people will only give as much as they give back. But in the Lord, you have to give all the time regardless. How many say amen? That's the kind of Christians we need to be in the society. And trust me, the thing that holds that back is fear of rejection, isn't it? Right? Fear of rejection. Man, I've been rejected. You've been rejected. It's the worst feeling when someone rejects your friendship or they just reject who you are. I would take it real personal. Someone would come in and then they'd go, well, we got to go to a different church. And I go, you don't like how I talk? You don't like me personally? And the Lord, the Lord just over the years just healed me from it. He just said, Eric, I'm the one who builds the church, not you. And I said, Lord, how do we change that so I can be in charge? <laughs> how can we change that? And, and, and I've realized through the years that there's stuff that you can buy with money, but there's a lot of things that we want, like stuff for our kids, you know, deliverance, freedom for a couple, or things that we want that are totally out of our control. Do you notice that? Think of some things that you want really bad in life that isn't an object. And think to yourself, if God won't do it, it won't happen. That's the fear of the Lord rather than the fear of man. Because if you're looking to somebody and saying, you need to get your life right, oh my gosh, how, how well is that going? Yeah. You know, how many, how many would say you were a fool before you came to Christ, a complete dastardly fool? Come on, raise your hand. If you were a dastardly fool, that's a great word, isn't it? Dastardly? I don't know, just as good. It's almost like a cartoon, like dastardly dog or something like that. But, but Imagine someone looking at you and going, get your life right. You're going, but I'm a fool. This is what I do. (laughs) I'm a professional fool. (laughs) You can't put your hope in them. You have to put your hope in God. You don't think God knows? When you're witnessing to someone, you're sharing with somebody, and your hope's in that person, that's not faith. That will see no reward. But you put your hope in God. You know, I had a gal led to the Lord last week, this last week, and man, it's, it's nothing more miraculous than seeing people come to Christ. Yeah. It's, it's just, oh, it's tremendous. It's an act of God. Listen, the fear of God versus the fear of man, which one do you want? Which one do you want? Now, if God is this mean God that 
always is disappointed with you and you're never going to make it right. You only see the, the wrath of God, the anger of God, the, the God who's against sin. You don't see the God who's paid for sin, the God who loves you, the God who will counsel you and never leave you, forsake you. You don't see that God. You're going to keep the fear of yourself. That means you trust your own discernment. I'm going to trust myself to navigate life. If you can look around and there's nobody you can really count on, what makes you think them looking back at you thinking you're worth counting on? That's what trusting yourself is like. <laughs> like, I wouldn't put my trust in you, so why are you put your trust in you? <laughs> like, show me the reasons why. Well, point A is I always know how to get things done. You know, that's what athletes say when they're playing one sport. You know what I mean? I ran really fast. Yeah, but you're going to be in diapers when you're in the 70s too, just like everybody else, Right? <laughs> We all end up in the depends, right? That's right. How many know you picked the right church this morning? Come on. You did. Listen, dear friends, don't be afraid. This is Jesus talking to them. He, he raised, and I want you to see this. He is going to raise the bar of fear with them and demonstrate what kind of power God has. And then he's going to tell them, but you don't need to fear. Watch this. Dear friends, because they're afraid they're, the, the, they're afraid of the religious people. Because the religious people got all the rules and they've collected all the letters of the 27 books and they've cross-examined to see where you in some kind of super way have violated some kind of thing so you're not saved and they've lost the gospel in the midst of it. And what's happened is, is that they're afraid of them and, and now they only have Jesus. They're going, what? And he goes, don't be afraid. Dear friends, dear brethren, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot do any more to you after that. That's all they got. And he says, but I'll tell you whom to fear. Fear God who has the power to kill you and throw you into hell. Yes, he's the one to fear. If you want to have fear, it's just like Paul. When Paul said, oh, you think you're religious? Because he's trying to get them to duck their religion. He says, I am from the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I had the best teacher in the land. As far as trying to be righteous in a legalistic way, I was faultless. You want to know that? You want to compare it? You super apostles from the church in Corinth? Well, I'm telling you, I got more. Whatever you have, I'm more. And I consider it rubbish. That's poo-poo if you don't know what that means in the Greek. I consider it all poo-poo compared to everything else. I didn't hear you, but I'm going to keep going. Listen how he finishes this. He says, what is the price of five sparrows? Two copper coins? Yet God does not forget a single one of them. And the very hairs on your head are numbered. They're all numbered. Chunk, six million five hundred and thirty-two, half gray, half white. Right? It's a blend. Recipient full of wisdom by the gray hair. Listen when he says, say it with me. Say don't so don't be afraid. So don't be afraid. Listen, let's see that contrast. Be super afraid. If you're gonna be afraid of something, be afraid of this. But listen. Look at how he takes care of the sparrows. And look at your hairs. They're all numbered. 
So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Maybe not all the sparrows, but at least a flock of them. Amen? It's like value. God's on my side. The fear of God overtakes the fear of man. Number three, the fear of God takes things out of my control. Okay? That's what it does. Jesus says, I, I, I give to you peace. I, I don't give as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. Let go of the control. How, how many right now just say, I want to let control, let go of control? Come on, just say it. I want to let go of control. It, just put, put your hands like this. Just go, just like this, like you got control. And just, it, it's symbolic for your soul. Just say, Lord, I release the control to you. I release the control to you. You're in charge. Listen, the fear of God, number four, it establishes my confidence. Listen, what, listen what he says, Solomon. He says, when you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Have no fear of sudden disaster of the ruin that overtakes the wicked, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. You know, one of my life verses is Psalm 112. As he says, do you see the man who fears the Lord? His heart is steadfast. He will have no fear of bad news. And it's just like, oh, bad news has come. But I don't have to fear it. Because my God is God over all things. And he'll walk me through whatever it is. And he establishes my confidence. Number five, the fear of God releases me to pursue my calling Listen, listen to this statement to Jacob who God renames Israel. He goes, your name's going to be Israel. Now listen, Israel, Jacob, you know, Abraham's your father. I am God, the God of your father. Don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. He, he's got this whole assignment. And the Lord comes to us in that same vein. I have an assignment for you. And I want you to go do it. But if you do it in your abilities, like you assess yourself, right? You get your, you know, your Fitbit on and it connects to the computer and it tells you where your health is. And then, you know, you do an IQ test, tells you where your thinking power is. Then you go to the doctor, he tells you how far, you know, to dementia you are, you know. And then, and then, he, and then you get all these different things that are just a list of things. And then you make that assessment and you go, huh, I don't know if I can go to Egypt, how many want to get your advice from the Lord? And, and this is where you have to let the Lord speak to you. And this is why I, you'll never, you're almost never, not when I'm preaching, will get this big lecture on devotions. We're all going to do devotions now because you won't want to anyway. Devotions are enjoyed by people who have revelation of the greatness of God. When you see the greatness of God, you like devotions because they're not devotions. Their relationship with God. And he talks to you these things. He tells you not to be afraid. You meet with him and he tells you these things. And he'll say things like, don't be afraid to go down there. And listen to what he says. I'm going to make you a great nation. I mentioned the promises the week before of moving out your tent posts, expanding your borders. And the Lord said, you know, spread out to the right and to the left. He says, your daughters and your sons will dispossess nations. And there are some of you that are going, I don't know if my sons and daughters will. Your daughters and your sons will dispossess nations. Do you want to believe your own mind or do you want to believe what the Lord is speaking? What do you want to do? Right? 
This is what the Lord is saying. You know, I can't do it. The dream's too big. That's right. Just say it. I can't do it. But, but say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I praise God for what he has promised. I trust in God. So why should I be afraid? Here he quotes it again. What can mere mortals do to me? What can they do to me? The last two here. The fear of God gives me success in my assignments. The Lord speaks to Paul in a vision. Don't be afraid. He says this over and over again to Paul. Listen, Paul, don't be afraid. You know, why, why would he have to say this to Paul? Paul's writing most of the New Testament. Why doesn't he just go, Paul, you're so perfect now. He goes, Paul, don't be afraid. He says in another place, he goes, I got people for you over there in Jerusalem. Don't worry about it. Go in. Oh, don't be afraid to go over there. I have people there. You'll be protected. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent. And Paul even writes his letters from prison. He's going, don't worry. God's got you. You're in prison. Yeah, I'm doing great. (laughs) Right? Paul was singing in prison. God, he was experiencing freedom in prison. And God was multiplying it. In fact, he just kept moving up until finally his court case went before the highest kings in the land. And that's where it is. And the fear of God, number seven, empowers my victorious life. Right at the end here. I really hope that God spoke to you today so far because we're really going to draw some really good conclusions here that are going to change you. I hope, my prayer, I I never want to waste my time, not as a person, I don't say that as a, my time's really valuable. I'm saying that I don't want to be an empty vessel up here. I want, and I don't want to just go through the Bible to read the Bible so we're thorough. I want to speak from the words of God and I want them to have life. I put no trust in my bow. My sword does not bring me victory, but you give us victory over our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. In God, we make our boast all day long and we will praise your name. How long? Forever. This is it. Listen. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out, drives out, moves out, pushes out, provokes out fear. Perfect love. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears this way it's not made perfect in love, that's all. It's, there, it's not there to beat you up. It's not there to go, see your fear and you're not perfect in love. Yeah, let's use it against you. No, you have Jesus the Christ. He's showing these elders. John is telling this. He's, he's writing this. This is one of the last things written in the New Testament. He's writing these letters to say, guess what, guys? This is what walking with God looks like. If your love's perfect, guys, you're not going to have that fear of the punishment because you know God is good. Amen. You know what he's done. <sighs> and then Psalm 34, I love David because he's just so profound. Just small little things. There's so much profoundness in here. Come, my children. He's speaking on behalf of the Lord. And listen to me. 
Just say it with me. Say, listen. listen. Just one more time. Would you whisper it? Just say, listen. Just listen to the Lord. Listen to me. And I will teach you the fear. I'll teach you to fear the Lord. This is what we need. This is victorious fear. This is fear that works. This is fear that's life-changing. This is fear that no, nothing can be stopped. It's, that's why he's the Lord of armies, the Lord of hosts. That's why he's the Lord of provision. He's the Lord of life. He's the Lord of light. He's the redeemer. He's the purchaser, right? He's Jehovah Jireh, the provider. You know, he is the God of rest. He's the God of power. He is the God of all gods. He is the king of all the kings. He is the Lord of all the lords. And guess what? He's my Lord. And he lives in me. And he walks with me. Father, we just come before you. And Lord, I'm just so grateful. I can't tell you. I can't tell you, Lord. I'm so grateful. Excuse me. Lord, I know your presence and I know the depth of your great love, Lord, not to its full capacity, but Lord, I know who you are. I praise you for your incredibleness, Lord. No words can define how great you are and awesome, and we can say them all, but they are so understated when I see your incredible glory that I realize how much love you have for the people and how much you care for them and how much you're for them, Lord, with such great power and force and depth. And Lord, still some shrink back, Lord. We shrink back in fear. And we have wonder still, Lord, and doubt. And if, the, if that's you, please don't deny it. Just say, Lord, heal my unbelief. Just raise your hand and say, Lord, heal my unbelief. Lord, heal my unbelief. Heal me where I can't see where you're the deliverer. Where I don't know how to get there to the path. And Lord, we put our hope in your abilities to transform us. And we put our hope in your principles so that we can apply them. Lord, so that we can read your word, see the principles, and give them a shot and see that they work, right? To see and come and taste and see that the Lord is good. And Father, we do that. We turn to your ways. And Lord, we pray that for our our sons and our daughters, Lord, that we care about, that we dream for, that we envision for, Lord. And we say it for our friends, Lord, too, and our and our parents, for those of you who have parents that are still alive, and let the Lord minister to them, Lord. Help my life. Help these prayers that we say have influence all around us. And trust in the Lord right now that he will answer the prayers in your mind right this minute. Let your mind be filled with faith. Ask God as fast as you can as things just enter your mind in belief and trust him for it and let some of them be miraculous things that you need but honest things, not selfish motives, not just so you can spend on your own pleasures but ask the Lord, fill me with faith and then say, Lord, 
Teach me how to pray to you. Teach me how to walk to you. Teach me how to walk in that steadfast love and that victorious free fear. And I pray, Lord, that you'd spread it out. I proclaim it in the name of Jesus Christ. They're all in this room, Lord. And their families and everything that they touch, Lord, their influence. Bless their kids. Pour out over them. Uh, bless Kevin, Lord, in the Philippines. Lord, even that money, Lord. You can do things with or without money, but I think that money has been blessed. Make it fruitful. More than just a little line item on a spreadsheet. Give it power according to your word. Bless Sarah Kligman as she's over there too. Line up her purpose and her vision. Give her hope. Give her stability. In Jesus' name, and thank you that everyone thinks she looks like Miley Cyrus over there. (laughs) Amen. How many say amen? Amen. Better be a good version of that. God bless you. You guys, there are some, we have some great messages coming up that we think are from the Lord. We look forward to talking to you in the next several weeks. God bless.